Luke chapter 15. It is a story of God's love for us. Uh, there's nothing quite like Luke chapter 15. There are three parables in the chapter, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. But the real point of all those parables is that God is involved in every detail of life. He cares about the one. He cares about the coin. He cares about the son that rebels and goes away and is a prodigal and squanders his inheritance. He cares about all of that. But the ultimate reason for Jesus telling these stories is to show us that God cares about lost people. God cares about who we are, where we are, the people we know around us, the people that we come in contact with every day. And in these parables, he, he, he's got some key points. First of all, the nature of God's heart. The nature of God's heart. There, there are people that think God's just a tyrant who always gets ticked off. That's because they haven't read the whole Bible. God is a God of justice. He is. And he judges right and wrong, but God is also a God of mercy. And he shows mercy where we don't deserve it. The nature of sinful man. I mean, no, nobody has to tell you that man by nature is sinful. I mean, we know that. Now, it's harder for grandparents to admit that than it is for parents. You see, grandparents see their grandchildren do things that they spanked their children for, and they go, oh, honey, leave them alone. They're just so precious. They're just so precious. But every child is born with a selfish bent. I mean, you put two kids, you can put them under the roof of this church in a preschool room where there are toys. And one will look at a toy and grab it, and the other one will say, mine, mine. They will not say, I understand that this toy was paid for by the tithes and offerings of the people of Sherwood Baptist Church, and that this floor is clean because they have cleaned it this week, and that the air conditioner is on is at a proper temperature for which the workers can work without breaking out into a full sweat. Would you mind if I use that toy for a moment? No. Mine. Why? Because they think it's theirs. And it happens in your home. I know you don't post those pictures on Instagram. <laughs> you always post the other ones. I think there ought to be an Instagram account for things that you're embarrassed to say that your kids do. And then just tag them in it. <laughs> that would be interesting. Uh, the nature of man. Man is born into sin. Man is depraved, separated from God. He needs a savior. This parable tells us about that. And then the necessity of evangelism. People don't come to Christ by osmosis. God doesn't write in the sky, hey you, yes, I'm talking to you. The nature of evangelism in the scripture is always one-on-one. -on -one. It's always one sinner telling another sinner that God saved that sinner and he could save them. That's the nature of it. This parable is really one story, and it requires all three parables to tell the full story because really what you get to in this parable is how much of a loving Heavenly Father we actually have. 
The, the sheep was lost and it took great effort to find it. By the way, a sheep is lost and never knows it's lost. Sheep just wander off. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever been around sheep much, and, and I have a little bit, but, but I, I've been in Israel and watched shepherds lead sheep over cliffs and stuff, and they have to make sure because the sheep will just start eating and looking down and eating, and before you know it, the rest of the flock is gone, and he's down a ravine somewhere. A sheep is lost and doesn't know it, so somebody has to find it. The coin is lost, and there's an awareness of it, but it took a great deal of effort to find the coin. By the way, anytime you lose something, it's where you last left it. <laughs> that's not in the parable. That's free. That didn't cost you anything. But the coin had to be found, and it was a valuable coin. It had to be redeemed. The son was lost. He squandered his inheritance. Now, with these first two parables, there's no blame for their condition. I mean, Jesus doesn't say, well, sheep are dumb. Should have never wandered off. People knew the nature of sheep. Coins can be lost. That's just the nature of a coin. It can be lost. But the son made a choice. The son made a choice to reject the love and the protection of his father's house, and he didn't want to wait for the reading of the will. He wanted to get his inheritance in that moment, and he got it. He got his part, and he went and squandered it and ended up in a pig pen. By the way, you don't need the story of the prodigal son to tell you that there are prodigals in this world. We all know there are prodigals in this world. There are people in this room. You have children, you have grandchildren that are away from God, that are not active in a church, that they've turned their back on everything you've tried to instruct them in. Hey, you, you don't need God to tell you they're a prodigal. You've got living evidence. And sometimes it creates tension in your family. It always creates a broken heart. But what you need these parables for is to tell you that God loves even prodigals. The people we give up on. The things we think are not worth searching for. God loves them and he seeks them out. So the question is, who are you in this story? Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes, here we go again. The Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, we have to ask ourselves, put, you always put yourself in the, in the text and say, who would I be in this story? We have to ask ourselves, would I be in the group of the tax collectors and sinners that Jesus is seeking out, or would I be one of those Pharisees and scribes grumbling? You, you know, I, I really think sometimes I would like to start a new campaign within Baptist churches. I think every town has a grumbling Baptist church one, a grumbling Baptist church two, a more grumbling than you are Baptist church three. We grumble at a bigger level than you grumble Baptist church because churches just seem to be known for grumbling. You know why churches are known for grumbling? Because they aren't known for grace. And so when God does something they don't like, they grumble. Hey, this is all God, all man. Jesus Christ walking the face of the earth. These are people that have memorized the first five books of the Bible and most of the Psalms. And you know what they're doing while they're looking and listening to God in the flesh? They're griping about him. They're griping about him. 
There are a lot of people like that still alive. That, that crowd breeds. There are a lot of people like that today, and, and these people are listening to the parables, and, and while the Pharisees may have, in theory, admitted, I'm a sinner, they would have said, but I keep the law, and they don't. So, in fact, what the Pharisees were admitting was, we're legalists, we dot all our I's and cross all our T's, these people break the law, so whatever I am, I'm not as bad as them. You remember how this keeps showing up in the parables in Luke? Luke has attention to detail. He's a doctor. He specializes in examining and probing and finding out what's wrong with the situation. And he could have easily just told these parables and moved on. But he mentions the fact that the tax collectors and the sinners and the Pharisees and the scribes are all listening. But they're responding different ways. There's a contrast in this crowd. All of them are sinners. All of them are lost. Some of them knew they were and others didn't. The tax collectors and the sinners were considered by the Pharisees and the scribes the worst of the worst. Uh, they hated tax collectors. The Pharisees and the scribes were self-righteous. They thumped their chest and beat their drum and said, look at how spiritual I am. Look at how important I am to God. I wear these little tassels and, and I ring these little bells and when I go to give my offering, I make sure I throw the coin so it hits that plate in the right sound so everybody knows I'm the one that gave. I mean, they were self-righteous. But the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. And the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So, However right and good we are in our flesh, on our own, we're never good enough to be saved. We're never good enough to be saved. I remember when I got saved, one of the first people I shared the gospel with, I, I said, I want to tell you about Jesus Christ, how I can make a difference in your life. He said, well, let me tell you my idea about that. He said, here's my idea. He said, there's these scales. You know those justice scales like... Like the judge, yeah, your justice scales. He said, yeah. He said, every time you do something good, there's a white marble put on it. And every time you do something bad, there's a black marble put on it. And when you die, if there are more white marbles than good marbles than black marbles, you get to go to heaven. And I thought, what dope have you been smoking? <laughs> and how do you know? How do you know? What if you get to heaven and find out you lost your marbles? <laughs> what if you get to heaven and in the counting room they're going, all right, send him downstairs, he's one marble short. You see, the sinners wanted to hear about Jesus, but the Pharisees wanted to grumble. Now, just back up into chapter 14. It ends with, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. So what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying what is on the heart of God is people that need a relationship with Christ. What's on the heart of these religious people is comfortable orthodoxy. And they're complaining, this man received sinners. And they hated him for it. By the way, can I tell you, Jesus still receives sinners. He still welcomes sinners. He still calls for the whosoever will that will come. And they began to grumble. The only time this particular word is used is here and in Luke 19, and it means to murmur, to stir up a crowd. 
Now, we've done a lot of refresh conferences, and I've spoken in a lot of state pastors' conventions and stuff through the years, and and hung around with preachers a lot. Preachers tend to hang around together sometimes. And I can tell you, I can't count on my hands the number of pastors who have told me, I lost my job because we started reaching a lot of people in the community and in the neighborhood and in the city, and our people didn't like it, and they were saying things like this. We don't want any more of that kind in our church. We don't want any more of those people in our church. Notice they always say our church. It's not our church. It's God's church. And he can invite whoever he wants. It's his church. And they get mad. And guys have gotten, I, I remember one guy that pastored in Kansas City and uh, there were about 25 people and he went there to be the pastor. And every week it was a nightmare. Somebody, it, it's like they were lined up to show up in his office and say, we don't like this, we don't like what you're doing, we don't like the way you preach, we don't like that. And he said, I was just fighting tooth and toenail with him. And he said, then I woke up one day and I got up and said, you know, what I need to do is quit sitting in my office listening to these people griping about what they don't like about what I'm doing. I just need to go win somebody to Jesus. So he went out and he led somebody to Christ, baptized them, led somebody else, led somebody else. He said, in about six months, the people I'd led to Christ outnumbered the people that were there. <laughs> and so he made a motion in a business meeting. He said, all in favor of us reaching people that have not been reached yet, say aye. And that crowd said aye, and the other crowd went, huh? Because they realized they had lost control. By the way, reaching lost people for some people is a control issue, and it's a guilt issue because I don't want to do it, and I don't want anybody else to do it. And so they're grumbling. This man receives sinners. I mean, can you just hear, it's like, it sounds like a serpent just coming off their tongue. This man receives sinners. Guess what? You're a sinner. So repeat after me. I am a sinner. I don't deserve salvation. I'm no better than anybody else. I'll quit griping about it. See how much better you feel? <laughs> this was the same attitude that the Israelites had toward God and Moses in the wilderness. It means a malignant murmur. They were grumbling, a malignant murmur. And so just, just, for, just appease me for a moment. Just say murmur. Now say it three times in a row. Murmur, murmur. There's nothing edifying about that. They were murmuring. So in the wilderness, they complain against Moses and against God. Now they're complaining against God's son. They're showing ingratitude. The Israelites were ungrateful for the deliverance that God had promised them and provided for them. And the Pharisees are ungrateful that after 400 years of silence since the book of Malachi, God has finally sent the Redeemer to pay the price for our sins. They had no problem seeing the tax collectors and the sinners as lost. They just couldn't see themselves as lost. You ever, ever ask yourself, why did we build this building and why did we build the new education area, all this, all this stuff? 
that we built, we're to meet the need emphasis. Why do we build all this? I'll tell you why we built it. So we could reach more people for Christ. We could all sat in the old worship center and in those old Sunday school rooms that you could hear a fly outside the room because they had glass windows that were thin and bathrooms that two people couldn't get in at the same time. And we could all sat there and died. But we did all this to reach people. Why do we build a legacy park? To reach people for Christ. 80% of the people that use that park, they're not members of Sherwood. Why do we do Sherwood Christian Academy? To reach people for Christ. We baptize typically 30, 40 kids a year that come to Christ through Sherwood Christian Academy. Why do we do, why do we have the Hope Center? Because we reach people for Christ. That's why we do what we do. It's not so we can have the biggest buildings or the best buildings. That's nice, but it's so we can reach people for Christ. I remember when we started to work on this, Steve Williams was uh, sitting in a room and we were talking. Uh, I think it was in a deacon's meeting. And, and Steve made this statement, and it should be repeated. You know, when I came here, somebody had already provided a parking space so I'd have a place to put my car. When I came here, somebody had already provided a seat so I'd have a place to sit. You know what evangelism is? It's making sure we've got a parking space and a seat that when the lost come, they find a welcome home. That they find a place for them. They find a safe place for them. Oh, this man receives sinners. Oh, man, I'm telling you what. I just, I don't know. Could, could we not have to deal with sinners? Well, you're just going to have to leave this world then. Because this world is full of sinners. If we are in our city and in our region and we don't want to reach sinners, then we are arrogant Pharisees that think we shouldn't be involved in making the world in which we live better and eternity more full of people who know Jesus. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. Man, that was the worst of the lot. I mean, listen, let me tell you how legalistic the Pharisees were. If a tax collector brought an offering to a synagogue, they wouldn't let them give it. No, you can't give that here. That's, that's blood money. That's your money. That's at uh, exorbitant rates that you charge as a tax collector. We won't take that money here. Listen, you bring it here, we'll take it. I'll just go on record. We'll take it. You know, when I, when I came here, you know, in the, what century did we come? The 18th century, was it? Came here in the 18th century. Was, when I came here, women couldn't wear pants. And I remember, not like, and I found out about it, and in fact, women were, if they walked into the church on a Tuesday wearing pants, they were sent out. And I remember saying in a sermon, and I've repeated this, I love repeating this, it just brings joy to my heart. I said, listen, you can show, if you're bringing a tithe, you can show up in a bikini on a Tuesday. I don't care. <laughs> we'll take it. You see, a holy God hung around with unholy people. A holy God hung around with unholy people. Now, just paint a picture with me for just a second. We're coming to the end of football season, which causes some people to go into light depression, but 
we're coming to the end of football season, and, and you've got a team on the field, and, and the offense gets together, and they huddle, and they get in a huddle. Some people think, I bet they're talking about me. But a church huddles on Sunday. Cars have been going by this church all day long. All morning long, they're going by. They see cars here. They may not know whose car it is, but they see cars here. And by and large, they're asking themselves a question. What in the world are they doing, and why are they giving up a Sunday to do it? You see, if all we do is hang around with holy people in holy places, and we never take a holy God into an unholy world, they'll never know why we're here. We're just taking up land and space. But a holy God hung around with unholy people, and they were sinners, those that were moral failures. And the Pharisees weren't even interested in seeing them change. All the Pharisees want to do is make sure everybody gathered for the huddle. Everybody gathered for the huddle. Who are the lost sheep? Verse 3. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine? in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. The playwright Arthur Miller said that the sign of a great drama is if in during the play you say to yourself, that's me. Guess what? That's me. The lost sheep. This parable tells us that someone is lost. A few months ago, Johnny Hunt and H.B. Uh, Charles and I were uh, doing the morning session in the Florida uh, Baptist Pastors Conference at First Baptist Orlando. And Johnny got up in the, in the way that only Johnny can do it. And uh, he said... <laughs> I'm going to tell, I may have told this not long ago, but it, sometimes just things we're telling, because some of you only come every other week, so I don't know which week you're here. So <laughs> I have to repeat sometimes. Johnny said this guy's sitting by him on a plane. And he says, I start witnessing to him. And the guy says, well, I'll tell you what. You can tell me where Cain and Abel's wives came from. I believe in Jesus. Johnny said, I sat there for a while, and I thought, I'm going to have fun with this guy. So I just sat and waited and waited, and the guy said, well, and Johnny said, well, I guess you'll have to go to hell. The guy said, what? He said, if you're telling me that's the reason you won't accept Jesus, then I guess you'll have to go to hell to find out. The guy changed his mind. <laughs> but this is a statement Johnny made that you should write down somewhere. You can get to heaven from earth, but you can't get to heaven from hell. This is the only life you've got. This is the only chance you've got. While you're breathing determines heaven and hell. You can get to heaven from earth, but you cannot get to heaven from hell. What you and I do with Jesus determines where we spend eternity. Why, so why do we ask you to serve? So that others may see and know that Christ makes a difference. 
Why do we ask you to give and to go? Why do we ask you to support missions? Why do we ask you to be engaged and involved so that a lost world can know? Why do we plant churches in cities most of us will never go to? 17 cities now across America. Why have we done that? To penetrate darkness. To penetrate darkness. Jesus is speaking and these religious leaders are not hearing. Typically a shepherd would have had a hundred sheep. So every morning they would count in the sheepfold. They would count. They would sit at the door of the sheepfold to make sure nobody came in. And they would count as they walked out. And then they would count as they came in. And if one was missing, then they would go and begin to look. So they would have 100 sheep. And Jesus asked, who among you wouldn't leave the 99 to find the one? The obvious answer is anybody would. I mean, anybody would. I mean, we get Amber Alerts on our phones. We, you see a, a post about a lost child. Last time they were seen, there was some car that had a certain tag on it, and it was a certain color car, and all of a sudden you start looking and you start thinking, I wonder if that lost child is there. Who wouldn't want to find a lost child? Who wouldn't want to find a lost sheep? But here's what happens to us the longer we're saved. Okay, can I just be honest? I'm going to be honest anyway. I'm just asking permission, which I don't really need, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Can I just be honest? Here's what happens to us the longer we are saved. We get in our connect groups, and we get in our discipleship groups, and we get our little huddle of people we like to spend time with, and then somebody in the church walks up and says, whatever happened to so-and-so? And this is our response. I don't know. They hadn't been here for months. Wrong answer. Listen, if they're on your role in your connect group, they're in your fold. And you're responsible not just for the people that show up. You're responsible for the people that haven't shown up in years. And don't be one of those Pharisees that says, well, we'll just drop their name. How about dropping their name before God and then getting out of the seat and go find them and see where they are and see why they got uninvolved? You know why most people don't come back to church? They've been out so long they're embarrassed to come back. And until somebody tells them it's okay to come back, they'll stay out. They'll just stay out because... Once you've been out two or three weeks, and it's easy to stay out four or five or six, and then before you know it, it's easy to stay out two or three months, and then before you know it, you've put them out of your mind, you've put them off of your prayer list, and you've said, not my problem, I'm not going to deal with it. They're adults, they should know better. Ultimately, folks, that's arrogance on our part. Because what it's saying is, if I were to get wayward and get lost and walk away I would want somebody to seek for me but I don't want to go seek for anybody else it is in fact arrogant to think that God should seek for you in the first place and that you and I wouldn't seek for others to come into the kingdom and to meet Christ and to know the forgiveness that is ours in Christ one commentator said it this way, 99 self-righteous people who keep all the rituals, festivals, and rules bring no joy to heaven. One sinner 
confessing his sin and repenting, sets off party time in heaven. God is concerned about the lost who will admit that they are lost and turn back to him. He wants people to put the sinful life behind them and follow him. Pharisees never do this. Why? They never realize they are lost. They always count themselves among the saved, even though they have never repented of their sins. Start the party in heaven today. Repent of your sins and be saved. So what's the appropriate response? Verse 7. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Augustine said, He loves each one of us enough to die only for us. The shepherd didn't rejoice alone. He called a party. A celebration. When we baptize people, we clap. I mean, we clap when somebody walks in the water. We clap when their name is called. We clap when they make their confession. We clap when they come up out of the water. And we clap while they're going up the steps and the next person's coming down. And and sometimes it's like, okay, we are clapping a lot. But hey, I'd rather do that and say, all right, what else are we going to do today? I'd rather us rejoice and celebrate too much than not enough. It's easier to calm down a fanatic than it is to breathe life into a corpse. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to ask ourselves, who's your one? Who's the one person you know that's away from God? Who's the one person in your family, among your friends, in your work associates, at your school that's away from God? We need to start a conversation. Maybe we need to make a visit. Maybe we need to greet a neighbor. Maybe we need to invest and meet the need. Maybe we need to start tithing so that others can do what they're doing. Maybe it's time to get moving. But I want to ask you a question. If on earth... There's rejoicing in finding a lost sheep. How much more does heaven rejoice over a lost sinner coming to Christ? Who's the person you know that's wandered away from God or wandered away from the church? Who's the person you know that wouldn't darken the door of the church if their life depended on it? Who is it that you go to school with? Who is it that you work with? Who is it that's your neighbor? You see, the lost world begins where the property of Sherwood Baptist Church ends. When you drive off of this property, you drive onto a mission field. And this mission field in the three counties that we draw from is 88% lost and unchurched. By the way, the same percentage as Baltimore, which Tolly talked about last week. We're not in the Bible Belt, folks. Everybody doesn't go to church. Everybody's not going to heaven. You'll get up in the morning, and if you subscribe to the paper, if you check it online, there'll be obituaries there, and it'll say all these things. They worked here. They're survived by this. They would like you to do this. They'd like you to do that. They want to be remembered for this. Uh, Their grandkids called them this. But the one thing that they won't mention, they'll even say what what church they're a member of, but the one thing the obituary won't mention is, Beyond a shadow of a doubt, they were lost, or beyond a shadow of a doubt, they were saved. Because everybody that dies is either lost or saved. Let's pray together.
Now, you may be here today and you know some answers in your head. I mean, you know some answers about Christ. You know historical facts about him. You may have been in the church a long time. But do you understand that until you and I confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God is raising from the dead, we can't be saved. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You can be saved today. You can give your life to Christ today. You may not have walked into this room thinking, you know what I need is to give my life to Christ today, but that's what you need to do. And in a moment, we're going to stand and the choir's going to sing. And when we stand and when they're singing, I'm going to ask you to step out into the aisle to find your way from the, the balcony, from the mezzanines, from the floor. I'm going to ask you to find your way down here and find one of these ministers and say, I need to give my life to Jesus Christ today. I need to trust Christ as my personal Lord and Savior today. Don't have a hope-so salvation, have a no-so salvation. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I died today, I would spend eternity in heaven. Not because of my good works, not because I'm a nice person, not because I'm better than other people, but because of the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ who died on a cross for my sin, rose from the dead, and has provided a place for me in heaven if I believe. That's what we're asking you to do today. So I'm going to pray, and when I'm through praying, we're going to stand. And as we stand, I'm going to ask you to step out, first step, step out and be the first one down to say, I need to trust Jesus today. Father, I ask you to save the lost today. I ask you to say to the saved today that we need to be more committed to sharing our faith with a lost and dying world. Help us to see a world the way you see it in need of Christ, in need of salvation, in need of love, and in need of forgiveness. Lord, help us to not be a people in holy huddles that never hang around with and talk to unholy people that need to know Jesus. For it's in his name we pray.